You'd be glorified through this message. You'd be glorified by everyone sitting in this place tonight and those listening online. Lord, thank you so much for your amazing love and your amazing grace. And we declare all this through your blood and in your name. Amen. Uh, we can see the title of my message. <laughs> it's Harvest. There we go. Isn't that a cool picture in place of a slave? Um, I didn't realize this. I, I really dug into John chapter 13. I love that message in John chapter 13. If I'm sure you're all familiar with it. But um, that's also a parable. I never realized that it was a parable. But it is. It's the parable of feet washing. While no figurative language was used by Jesus, because of the truth he was illustrating, he gave us a parable by way of example. As he was alone with the 12, he never stopped teaching and instructing his disciples even up to his last night on earth. What a, what a lesson for all of us. I don't care whether we're sick or what. We never stop sharing the word of the Lord. How many of you heard great, and maybe some of you have done it, when people are in the hospital, people that love Jesus, they're sharing with all the staff, and even to their last breath, they share. But I want to give us a quick review on um, what a parable is. Um, a parable is an outward expression <clears throat> of an inward reality. Its power is in its harmony. Listen to that now. Harmony, which it brings out between the natural and the spiritual world. Think about music in this, in our wonderful worship team. You have a soprano, you have an alto, you have a tenor, you have a bass, you have a baritone, and they come together and they make the most beautiful sound. Well, that's what a parable does. A parable, its power is in its harmony, which it brings out between the natural and the spiritual world, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. All things in nature are prophetic outlines of divine operations. As Paul said, the invisible things of God since the creation of the world are clearly seen being perceived through the things that are made. Isn't that beautiful? That's it right there. So Jesus' parables are not mere illustrations, but internal analogies. Nature becoming a witness for the spiritual world. Whatever is found on earth exists also in the heavenly kingdom. They are earthly in form, heavenly in spirit. Think about it this way. Jesus himself could be seen as the greatest parable of all time, could he not? He is. Well, let's read together John chapter 13, first 11 verses there. <clears throat> Before the Passover festival, this was Jesus' last night on earth, last night alive. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. 
he knew. Hold on to that. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2, now when it was time to, for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. <clears throat> Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. How about us? Do we know that everything about us is in his hands? Everything. That should give us great peace and great assurance. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. I've read this so many times and I just never thought much about it until I spent a little time in it. There's a lot here. I'll share it with you. Verse 5. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You know, in the north we say wash, down here I guess we say wash. But anyways, <clears throat> are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward... You will understand. Verse 8, you will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if, if I don't wash you, notice he didn't say feet. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, he did a 180 pretty quick. Lord, <clears throat> not only my feet, but also my hands, hands representing the doing we as believers are doing, and my head, our salvation, the helmet of salvation. Verse 10, one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. That's a Christian standard Bible. I like that translation. John Maxwell of Enjoy Ministries. How many have heard of John Maxwell? He's a fabulous resource, isn't he? I have his leadership Bible. It's one of the best Bibles I've ever had. John Maxwell of Enjoy Ministries shares the following about this situation. <clears throat> when the disciples booked an upper room for their supper, they forgot to book a servant to wash the dirty feet at the door as per custom. Yet when they realized that the servant was missing, none of them volunteered to do the job. Instead, they argued over who was the greatest. If you've watched The Chosen enough, I'll tell you, they depict all that just beautifully. He, Jesus is out there working so hard, healing people, preaching, everything. They're back at camp yelling and, and tearing each other down. Sounds like the human race, doesn't it? Anyways, none of them volunteered to do the job. Instead, they argued over who was the greatest. When Jesus saw this, he decided to use the opportunity to present an object lesson. Well, in Jewish culture, 
another, uh, washing another person's feet was not the work of a typical house, house servant, but was reserved for the lowest type of slave. Hence my title, in place of a slave. As guests arrive at a home, the slave would kneel beside a basin of water, remove everyone's sandals, and wash their feet. Wash their feet. Then the slave would dry their feet and replace their sandals. Custom required the washing of the guest's feet prior to the supper. But interestingly enough, Jesus did it after supper. Why do you think that? Well, if I was teaching you in my class, I'd be asking for all your responses. But it has to be because he, he had that object lesson that he had to share. He had something big to teach them t that night. Oswald Chambers also, how many know who Oswald Chambers? My utmost for his highest? Describes perfectly how we sometimes use such jobs as washing feet, cleaning toilets. I did all that. How many of you have done that? Clean toilets, mop floors, clean bathrooms. I remember working in the dining hall at college and everything. Of course, that wasn't so bad because Lynn there was there with me. But anyways, um, so we might classify the job of washing feet as pure drudgery, according to Oswald Chambers. Actually, drudgery is one of the finest tests to determine the genuineness of our character. How about you when you clean that toilet and somebody left it a real mess? How'd you feel about that? I have to admit I had thoughts, you know, I've done my time doing this. <laughs> but you know, he also, Oswald Chambers also says in that wonderful devotional, are you ready to be a doormat? Are you ready to let the people walk all over you? Are you ready to do that? That really goes against our nature, doesn't it? But Jesus is all about doing what's not normal for us. But anyways, actually drudgery is one of the finest tests to determine the genuineness of our character. It is work that is far removed from anything we think is ideal work. It is utterly hard, menial, tiresome, and dirty work. And when we experience it, guess what? Our spirituality is instantly tested, is it not? Think about the last menial job you did. Did anybody, what, was anybody watching you do it? Or did you do it with singing a song? I cleaned the toilets of America. You know, um, when we traveled, um, we traveled west when the kids were little, and uh, we would have to stop at those terrible bathrooms and gas stations. So we had our own little spray cleaner, our paper towels, and we would sing that song in the car, we clean the toilets of America. But anyways, trust me, it wasn't always that way. And we, we, when we experience it, our spirituality is instantly tested, and we know whether or not we are spiritually genuine. What do you think about that? That's Oswald Chambers' opinion. The inspiration of God is required if drudgery is to shine with the light of God upon it. Yes, he can even make cleaning bathrooms. He can shine in there, and we can do it with the joy in our spirit. So when the Lord does something through us, he always transforms it. 
Well, anyway, shortly after this parabolic action, the, the uh, wash, defeat washing, Judas left the group and went out to sell his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. The price of a slave, you all know this, if and when the slave was gored by an ox. When Judas Iscariot bargained with the chief priest of Israel to portray the Lord Jesus, he asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? What are you willing to give me? Then they then counted out for Judas 30 pieces of silver. That's all they considered Jesus was worth, and I'm sure some of them didn't think he was worth that. How much are you worth in the eyes of the Lord? You know how much God loves all of us? He loves us so much. Sometimes I try to share that with people, and they just can't buy it. You ever have that experience? They just can't receive it. That they love, that God loves them. So anyways, Jesus, <clears throat> ever omniscient, meaning all-knowing, knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world and go unto the Father. This is important for you and I. We need, do you know, do you really know that God has your heart and that you love him? Do you really know? That his timing is best. I have to tell you something here. Um, well, anyways, during the days preceding the washing of his disciples' feet, Jesus made constant reference to his death, frightening and saddening his disciples, who did not realize the true significance of his death to be followed by his resurrection. I have to tell you, when Lynn passed away almost a year now, I was ready to go. I said, I'm out of here. That's the way I felt. I'm ready to go. Lord, then I backed up a little bit and said, Lord, but I'll stay here as long as you want me. But, but I'm ready to go. All of a sudden, there, you know, not that I ever had any fear of death, but I could care less. I was ready. And finally, my oldest son, Tim, he says to me, Dad, would you stop talking about death? Because um, his wife's mother passed nine months before Len passed. So his four kids, my four grandchildren from him, lost both grandmas in less than a year's time. So that's why he said, stop talking about death. So I got the message. But I'm not kidding you. I was ready. I was ready. I'm still ready. So Jesus, with only, with only an earthly kingdom in mind, there was strife among them which, which of them should be the greatest. You ever been in a church like that? People jockeying for position, favor. That's the kind of place you want to run from, right? So anyways, <clears throat> there was strife among them which of them should be the greatest, they were blind to the fact that humility is the pathway to honor. Remember, I, you, I know you don't remember, but I preached last summer on humility, the connection between humility and suffering. 
and how, um, you know, humble yourself to God, and he will lift you up or exalt you in due time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. That he says, be sober, be, uh, be alert. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If we don't hang together and lock arms together, we're easy prey. We're easy prey. And then he said, resist. Resist him. Resist the devil. Standing firm in the faith. Remember that? The faith. Not a faith, not your faith, the faith, the faith of Jesus Christ. Because you know that your family of believers throughout the earth are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And then you go back to Galatians um, uh, where it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by what? The faith of the Son of God. That's a revelation. That's a, that's a rhema word. We live by his faith. But anyways, they were blind to the fact that humility is the pathway to honor a broken spirit. Oh, God, you will not... Uh, a broken, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Psalm 51 on that one. So, to enforce this truth about humility, the pathway to honor, Jesus illustrated it by taking the place of the slave. He was a slave whose duty it was to wash the feet of those who entered the house. And listen to this now. Jesus laid aside his garments, the outer ones which would get in the way of the action of, of feet washing, washing feet. So this humble illustration by Jesus gives way to a greater, a greater illustration. I think you can see what it is, namely his incarnation when he became humanity, when he laid aside the garment of eternal glory and wrapped himself around the garment of our humanity. Isn't that beautiful? That's our Savior. I still wrap my mind, have a trouble wrapping my mind around that, that Jesus was fully, fully man and fully God. And I wonder sometimes what he thought about things that the man side took over or, or whether the spirit, um, uh, you know, well, we know the spirit would rule. But anyways, um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, the word used for washed or bathed means to bathe the whole person. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. And Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. Peter truly didn't understand what Jesus was doing, nor did the others. 
So that means there's hope for us. Think about it. They've been with him three and a half years, and they still didn't get it. I just saw, I was watching The Chosen tonight, and they have the scene where Jesus is, um, is um, sending the, the, the 12 out, you know, to all different parts. It was, I don't know if you've seen that season three yet. It's really cute. And he nicely says to them that he didn't take, he didn't choose them to be disciples because of their intellect and because of their their um, ability to, to uh, talk with people and everything like that. That was, that's my paraphrase. But he took them, obviously, he chose them because he knew he saw them as the finished work. You know, God sees us as the finished work. Isn't that awesome? God, can you give me a glimpse of myself? <laughs> now, how about William over there? God, give me a glimpse of William. He and I dressed alike tonight, so. But anyways, um, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. So Peter didn't get it. It was, you know, here's why. I never knew this before. It was beyond his comprehension. To Peter, the meaning of the towel, Jesus had the towel wrapped around. Now, you Bible scholars probably ought to know this, but the meaning of the towel that Jesus used was a badge of slavery to Peter. Think about that. A badge of slavery. Because the lowest of the low of the slaves did the feet washing. So when he saw Jesus with that towel wrapped around him, it's quite possible that he, he thought that it, it, was, it was degrading for Jesus. And what are you doing doing this for me? That's my take. But Jesus finally got through to him that, that it was not a badge of slavery. But I like this phrase, an apron of humility. Sometimes we're thick-headed, aren't we? A lot of it's because of our tradition, the way we're raised, the way we're raised in our home, things like that. By the Spirit's illumination, Peter came to see the manifestation of divine grace in his master's action. 1 Corinthians 2.14, I think you probably all know that, this verse, but... It speaks to a lot of people where we are today, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I actually quoted that to a lady one time who was coming, had called the ACLU on me, ACLU on me because I prayed in school and all, all other kinds of things. And... Um, and she, uh, she sat in my office, and for some reason, I felt like I needed to say that to her. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think I've shared before, she became a friend, though, and actually came to church with me one time. <laughs> so in essence, Jesus is saying that one who has bathed in the blood of the Lamb is completely clean. Okay? Thus, in response to Peter's statement... You will never wash my feet, Jesus replies. You have no part with me. And what's he saying? He's declaring a direct reference to the rejection of the redemptive power of his blood. You know how many people reject the blood? I had one guy tell me, you know, if it's new Christians that come into the church, you probably shouldn't preach about the blood yet. 
I guess it's too gory or whatever. Especially the part where Jesus says, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's quite capable of policing his own place. He's quite capable of uh, taking something that would be just way out for an unbeliever, and they receive it. That, that, you know, one other thing. Um, the, uh, I remember one time, I, Lynn and I had a history working at City Gospel Mission in downtown Cincinnati for years. We were down there ministering to the homeless, and um, um, it was, then they decided to change what they were doing and how they were doing it. They, they would, they got, everybody had to come to chapel first, and then they'd go downstairs, and they had a great meal for them. Well, that was, it was really good, because then you'd have chapel packed out. Well, they stopped doing that, and they made chapel just an option, like games and other options. Well, I remember it went from like 100 to 6, just like that. And their response to me was, well, at least you got the ones there that want to be there. And I said, no, you're denying the power of the Holy Spirit to, to break that hard heart. To come to Christ. I wrote him a letter and everything. And finally, we just I just stepped away from it. I just couldn't agree with that. Anyways, that's me. But this direct reference to the redemptive power of the blood is a direct reference to John 20, verses 19 through 23, where Jesus appears in the room. Remember, they're all hiding there. And he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not the baptism. That comes later, 50 days later, Pentecost. It says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he breathes on them. Can you imagine the breath of God on you? I can't wait to get to heaven for all that stuff. I can just picture my Lynn up there, man. She's had a party already. She really is. Anyway, so that's the reference there. So... They became apostles at that point. This was literally their salvation experience. For the believer, it is the feet which tell of his life and conversation, which are continually gathering the dirt of sin and uncleanness and need daily washing in the blood of Christ. In other words, in Old Testament times, a person who had bathed merely needed the feet washed upon entering someone's home. So when we are bathed in the blood of the Lamb, we are permanently clean. Our dirty feet represent the defilement of this world, which needs to be scrubbed away on a daily basis. John 13, 15, he says, For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Is Jesus saying... <clears throat> that we are to wash people's feet? Or is there a deeper meaning, deeper meaning? I think we're to do both. I think we are from time to time to wash the feet. Not only for, I, I had a worship team that just, the two primary people, they just couldn't get along. I got so frustrated with them, I pulled them in and I washed their feet. But I did it too for myself. And, um, 
anyways, I don't know if I had the right spirit about all that or not, but I did it anyways. I was trying to get, can't, I remember preaching, can't we just learn to love each other? <laughs> but anyways, I got to finish this up real quick here. I believe we are literally to do this from time to time, but more important than the physical application was the literal message, obviously. He is conveying to his disciples. He was demonstrating the need for meekness, which is gentleness, humility, quiet strength, and lowness of heart in our daily relationships with God, first and then with each other. I love Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, where he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will what? Give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am, and I am lowly and meek in heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? Lastly, <clears throat> the Spirit-Filled Life Bible declares this about Jesus. And I hold on to this. Jesus' lifestyle and lessons establish the mode for a new kind of leader, the servant leader. The servant leader leads from a position of personal security. If you're going to lead in the church, you've got to be sure you know who you are in Christ. Sometimes it's easier to work for God than to believe in God. I didn't make that up. That's Oswald Chambers again. Think about that, though. A lot of times people will work and work and work and deny the opportunity for relationship with him. But the servant leader leads from a position of personal security, that is knowing who God has made him or her to be and resting in the peaceful awareness and confidence that God's hand is ordering his or personal destiny. And listen to this now. This is the kicker. Who seeks to serve rather than to be served. Until a person is ready to wash feet, he is not qualified, she is not qualified to be a kingdom leader. What's that? That's the broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Thank you, Jesus. One last scripture, and I'm done. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about or surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us or ensnare us. Let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our God. That's our Savior, Lord. Just touch each of us here tonight. But 
even more than that, may you feel our love. May we make you feel so rich. Just like you say, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, may we make you feel so rich tonight. May you feel so loved by all of us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. For you are so wonderful. And we love you. And I declare all this through your blood and in your name, Jesus. Amen.